This is Emergency, Stories from a Mental Health Response System in Crisis, a Fountain House broadcast. Fountain House is a community of individuals living with serious mental illness, and we produce, record, and edit this podcast. We want to let our listeners know that the following stories include firsthand descriptions of violent and traumatic encounters with the police. At the end of the episode, we will provide a list of mental health resources. One in every four people killed in response to a 911 call is suffering from serious mental illness. Those killed are disproportionately people of color. Today, you will hear stories from three of many Fountain House members who reached out for medical help and instead encountered the police. We want to show you that behind every headline is a person. These are not statistics. These are our stories. The first time I was hospitalized, I was 22. Um, I had recently lost my father and I was um, doing a lot of strange things in my house. I was throwing my mother's clothes out the window. I was yelling at my neighbors. Uh, my behavior was strange and my, um, my mother was on the phone with someone and her friend must have said, call 911. Um, you know, the ambulance came and um, police cars and the ones who came in the house were the cops first. I wasn't resisting or anything. And, you know, they just grabbed me. They put my hands behind my back. They put uh, handcuffs on me and they took me outside the door. I didn't remember any contact with the ambulance at all because in fact, they put me in the squad cars and the whole neighborhood was outside waiting, you know, like watching. I knew all, most of these people I grew up, I know them since I was nine. And, you know, like even people I didn't know, I swear my whole, the front of my house, like the whole block was there and maybe people from other blocks because there was so many people and it was so embarrassing eventually the neighborhood they started a petition to get me out of the neighborhood I would have preferred it if like a social worker so like someone like that would have came in and say you know what's going on with you put your put my arm their arm around me and because I was not doing well at that time but not to the point that I needed to look like I'm arrested so it looked like I'm like some kind of criminal and it was a really bad experience you know and it was just horrible, horrible experience. Parents would pull their kids away from me like I was some kind of monster. The way I was treated was horrible. But when they came in the house, I was wearing a nightgown and they wouldn't even let me put my clothes on. They just like, they like basically like laid my head down on my bed and, you know, put the, the handcuffs and, uh, you know, and, and they made me look like a, like a, perpetrator you know I mean they made me look like a criminal I was 12 years old first one 
the second one I was 13, and the third one I was 13, the fourth one I was 14, I was a teenager. I was a teenager. I was very young. When the police was responding, um, they want to know what's going on, right? And some police officers who try to talk to my mother and tell her what's going on. And there is like a 10 or 15 police officers just, just arrive into my mom's house to think that I was psychotic. So yeah, they showed up because I don't have a weapon. I don't have like a kitchen knife. I don't have like a possession of drugs or guns or anything. And, you know, it's like they're making like fun of them. Like they're smirking. And when they're smirking, they, they think that there's something is a joke. And when the police arrives, like afterwards, then the paramedics came. There was a two paramedics came now and they detained me. I was not arrested, but I was handcuffed. So when the police escort me out, through the hot, um to the ambulance with the paramedic was that everybody wants to see what's going on outside what's happening and everybody is watching me seeing me with my handcuff or something i was not dressed i was wearing a boxers and i was wearing a white t-shirt i have no i have shoes on but i was not wearing socks with my shoes on so i was wearing my underwear like a boxers and my white t-shirt it's so inappropriate I feel like I'm afraid of cuss because the reason why I don't want to cuss be abused, falsely abusing me and getting me handcuffed or do something to me like punching and pepper spray me or beat me with something else. They look big. They're taller than me. And they're, they're, they're stronger than me. So how come that when all those 15 police officers versus me to think that I have to be detained and being restrained, like they have, like they strap you down. Like I have hung, I have my handcuffs underneath my back while I was laying down. It's painful because it doesn't make no. This is not the right way to rest me down on like that with my handcuff. I don't get that. Why have I be restrained on it with my one hand on into the metal of the chair? Then the mind is just like this guy is retarded. He's crazy or something. But it feels like this is not right at all. Everybody is laughing at me. Everybody is laughing at me like, what? You know, I have to tell you this because the thing is, I need justice. I need to justify myself that I'm doing okay. For anything that I do, I don't do no harm to nobody. I've been hospitalized several times, but I'm doing better. You can't do those things all the time to other people like me because the people could watch other people like me, you know, and you, you need to stop it. And I just want to make sure that don't do this to other people. For some reason, I felt like I was being harassed wherever I went or in my apartment. I hadn't slept in like a week or a week and a half. I just had my breaking point. I left my apartment. I was going to my aunt's house. And it took, it usually takes like a, like a 10, 15 minute walk to get to her house. But for me that day, it took a couple of hours. 
Now, I know their voices now, but they were telling me not to go. And I covered my ears. I sat on the floor. And I said, I, I don't I don't know what's going on, but it's I keep hearing things. So I got freaked out. I left her house. And I sat in front of her building. There's a bench in front of her building. And I fell asleep on the bench. And then I woke up. My family was there. My uncle, my aunties, and my cousins were there. They all came from work. And then um, they called the police in an ambulance. And apparently the ambulance took a long time to come. So I was sitting there. And at first it was two officers. Then it was four officers. And then it was six officers. And they were saying things like, you sound like my wife. Like, what's going on with you? And it was just aggravating me. And stressing me out. The stress brings out my symptoms even more. My uncle, my uncle Richard, he's like, just do what they say, or they're gonna beat you up. And I said, No, I'm not doing anything wrong. All I'm doing here is staying on the bench trying to get some sleep. So they handcuffed me. But the police, they weren't very professional. I had a feeling like they were making fun of me. Well, I just didn't care about what they were saying to me. Because they're talking, like, they, they didn't treat me like somebody that had an illness. They just treat, they treated me like a crazy person. They just didn't do the job very well. I felt like there should have been a social worker there. I just wanted somebody to talk to, you know? Because I was looking for a quiet place to sleep. And I was looking for somebody that had some compassion that would sit and talk to me about what's going on with me. Cause I didn't know what was going on with me. I don't think the cops are educated enough to deal with somebody that has, was going through like a, a, a breakdown. You know, I wanted to feel safe and I didn't feel safe. Because my mind was so cluttered and I just wanted, I, I was looking for places that were quiet and I, I just couldn't find peace. I couldn't find peace anywhere. They had yanked me off the bench and turned me around and they were like, you know, not very gentle. I just couldn't help it. I was so aggravated. And it took me two years to realize I wasn't being harassed by anybody, that it was all in my head. It, it took me two years to figure that out. Yeah, just treat them like, like treat them like a human being, you know. Like, I can't explain what it's like to have schizophrenia. I can't explain what it's like to have schizophrenia. It just seems so real the hallucinations, the auditory and the visual. And it seems like they're coming at you in all directions. Yeah, you can't turn it off. You can't turn it off, yeah. Today you heard the stories of three Fountain House members. Brutal as their experiences were, these members survived. 
but too many others have not. In the last four years in New York City alone, 16 people having a mental health emergency were shot and killed by the police. 15 were black or people of color. This nationwide tragedy has struck our community as well. Our fourth story today is Deborah Danners, who was also a member of Fountain House. She was an expert in computer science and a gifted writer. And like all members of Fountain House, Deborah was one of the 13 million Americans living with serious mental illness. On a Tuesday evening in 2016, one of Deborah's neighbors called 911 to complain about someone shouting in the hallway of their apartment building. The ambulance arrived first. According to testimony given at trial, one of the MTs spoke with Deborah about going to the hospital. Deborah was confused, unsure about what was happening and why, but she was talking until six cops showed up and shoved the medic aside. Deborah ran into her bedroom and the police followed. Deborah was 66 years old and holding a baseball bat. The cop who killed her, who claimed that she made him fear for his life, was 32. He was accompanied by five other officers and armed with a taser, pepper spray, a baton, and a semi-automatic pistol. He chose the gun and Deborah died. We have heard many shocking stories of how individuals in the midst of mental health emergencies were met with antagonism, extreme policing, ignorance, and violence. Members were shamed, injured, and in the most extreme cases, killed. What are our alternatives? The most crucial step is to take police out of the picture. You heard what our members want in their moments of crisis, compassion, care, professionalism, and a gentle word or a hand on the shoulder. You heard them say, we are not criminals. We must answer their call. This has been Emergency, Stories from a Mental Health Response System in Crisis. If the content of this podcast was triggering for you and you are feeling unsafe, you can contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255 for 24-hour mental health support. For general mental health support, you can also call the National Alliance on Mental Illness helpline at 1-800-250-NAMI between the hours of 10 a.m. and 8 p.m. For more information about Fountain House and how to apply as a member, go to fountainhouse.org. If you want to get involved in the fight to change the mental health emergency response system in New York City, please visit the Correct Crisis Intervention Today website at ccitnyc.org. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals who shared their stories. 
and do not represent the official positions or policies of Fountain House. Emergency was produced and recorded by members and staff of Fountain House. Today's podcast featured music by Greg Stanger and Trevor Kowalski.